0: So excited to open up God's Word, speak to you today, and I'm so glad that you are here. I, w- I would just encourage you, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke, to St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, going to read there. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you have a mobile device, you can, uh, version the Bible app, you can find, find it there. And if not, we'll have the words on the screen for you to this text that we're going to be digging into. Uh, as you see in the video, our next series that we start next Sunday is called Next, Everybody say next. One, two, three. Next, and next is it's all about this: that there is a next for you, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter where you're at in life. There's a next, and through the throughout God's word, you you see it's just replete with these examples of people that were in a certain spot in a certain situation, and it was difficult, almost impossible to tell what was going to come next. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's vivid, and you can with clarity see what's coming next. But other times it it looked like, well, what's going to happen next? And then every time, every time, God provided the next. And I would say this: that for your life right now, there's a next. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter how how um, how just big and overwhelming it might be. There's there's a next. Or it may be underwhelming. You're thinking, well, I'm kind of I don't know what's coming next. Well, in this series, we're going to address that. And I I think it's one of the most significant series that I could preach that could help you starting next Sunday. And we'll go four weeks, only four weeks, it's not long, but just dealing with the next, the next in life. And uh, one of the things we're doing, a a part of that is uh, tomorrow night, Monday night, we're having a Victory Monday service. In fact, many of you know we've been in a journey for 100 days, started on January 1st as a church, and day 100 is tomorrow. And so we don't normally have church on Monday night, but, but here we'll be, and so I invite anyone who wants to come tomorrow night. It's a celebration. We've been in the New Testament for, for uh, it'll be 100 days on, on uh, tomorrow, and we've been, uh, some other commitments that we've been doing on this journey of victory and uh, learning that God has already provided victory and that there is a corporate victory for all of us together. Anybody believe that? I, I just believe this, that Elevation Church, we're in a spirit of revival right now. How many would agree with that? Say yes. Yeah, and so and so we, we want to capture all that God has. But today, today is Resurrection Sunday, and I'm going to be digging into God's Word in Luke chapter 24. My title today is, and you can jot it down if you're taking notes, looks can be, you know it, don't you? Looks can be deceiving. We all know that, don't we? Anybody ever ever been fooled by something because you thought it was a certain way, and then you found out it was altogether different? I've done that. I'm old enough now that I've hap- that's happened more than once. I had a friend, pastor in another state, and he had a young guy in his church. I don't know. He's probably around 25, 30, something like that. That's young. How many know that? Yeah, 25, 30. It's like, wow, that's young. And uh, the guy the guy kind of had a lot of stuff together, and he had a lot of means, a lot of resource, a lot of ability, a lot of money. And he had never found a girl that he wanted, and and he couldn't somehow just, it always would just fall apart when he'd find somebody and didn't work out. And so so one day he went on to one of these dating apps. Now, my wife and I, we've been married 35 years, so we don't know anything about dating apps at all. But I know people that have been on dating apps and got married, and they're still married. Isn't that yeah, cool? Yeah. I, I tell people there's a lot. I'm trying to say this in a good way, and it's going to sound bad, but there's a lot worse peop- worse places you could find people. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Right? Okay. And so, And so... So he went on there, and he found connected with this person, however you do it, and, and, uh, and because he had the ability to do so, he flew her across the country to the city where he was at, rented this luxurious place for her to stay, planned this big dinner at the nicest restaurant in the city, and she was going to show up, had, had, a, had, I think, if I remember correctly, a limo to bring her from the place where she was staying to the restaurant, And he's seated there, and they bring her to his table. And when she shows up, she's altogether different. The person on the profile picture of her app, whatever it is, was different than the person that showed up for the date. He said, I already spent all kinds of money to get. I'd been on the phone with her. We were were communicating, and now I got her there, and it wasn't even the woman that was in the picture. I mean, no, you can be fooled because looks can be deceiving. I mean, it's like those, those filters they have on social media. Like You're like, wow, I didn't know they looked that good. I've been waiting for one that like, gets rid of the baldness like a filter. I don't, mean on, I don't mean on social media. I mean in real life, like just something just right, just, just do it. People say, oh, you've got just the perfect head to be bald. That's not a compliment. <laughs> Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse 3, then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. That's odd, isn't it? Yeah, it's okay. Verse 5, then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, and their words seemed to them like idle tells, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, this is all four gospels, all four accounts give give share the in the narrative uh, the resurrection story. All of them come back to this to give us. In fact, when you think about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you already know the names of them, right? They're so common that just about anybody in here would know the names. Every one of those is, is someone writing from their, the lens that they saw what happened. And the crazy thing about it is that they match. Some of them share other details as we would if we viewed anything. Right? If if we le- if you leave this service and we put somebody out there to survey you, some of you are gonna say this happened and this happened. And this you might all be right, but you're gonna you're gonna have certain details that others didn't have. Anybody with me? And so so here we have Luke's Luke's a physician, a doctor. He's giving his account of this and and uh uh these women just kinda go back over it so we get it. These women like a Sunday like this They are arriving early. My friend in Florida, they had an Easter sunrise service at 6.30. Get out, it's outside, before the sun comes up, everybody's out there. Sounds kind of neat, and then it sounds kind of early. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they're out there before the sun came up. Much like these ladies, they're getting there very early, And because they are connected with Jesus, they know Jesus. Jesus has made an investment, an impartation into their life. They have believed in him as a leader. So now they're going to care for his dead body. This is customary. What they're doing is normal. They know he's dead. They've witnessed it. Now they're going to care for his body, his dead body. But when they get there, the stone's gone. It's been rolled away. Now, in one of the other gospels, they're thinking about how they're gonna get the stone out of the way. And so they're mindful that they can't move that on their own, but when they get there, the stone is rolled away and they go inside. And Jesus isn't inside. The expectation is because he died, that he'll be inside of the tomb where he's been placed. The expectation is that the stone will be there. They're going to care for his death, but he's not there. In fact, The linen cloth, the shroud that he's been covered with, is laid to the side and there's no body there. Now, they're perplexed and confused because this isn't what they expected. Now, you maybe would think they would expect that because Jesus has said it. In fact, the angel, the other gospel writers will call these men in shining garments angels, these two angels, well, they let them know, "Why why are you seeking the living among the dead? Crazy question when you're expecting to see a dead guy. Why, are you, why, why, why don't you know that he's not here? He's risen. And then they say, Remember what he said. Now, it's a stark contrast when you see these ladies, and then later in verse 11, uh, verse 10, 11, and 12, you see the 11 disciples and the others gather with them. It's a stark contrast when you see the religious leaders of the day. When you see the uh, those that are part of the Sanhedrin council that that are are in a governing body and, and governing the Jewish people, that when you see their response, their response is because they knew what Jesus said because Jesus wasn't secretive about what was going to happen. He had already let them know that that I'm going to die, but in three days I'm going ri- to I'm going to be raised up. And and so the Jewish people, those leaders, they understood that because they went to the Romans and said, "Put guards." at the tomb. Make make sure because what the Jewish people didn't want, those leaders didn't want to happen was they didn't want somebody to steal his body. And because they were steeped in religiosity, they didn't want anything to happen to Jesus that would cause people to continue to believe in him. And so here here these ladies are and now they've heard this and they remembered Jesus did say that. And so... They hurry off. Now I've watched this portrayal in movies, and a lot of times what they show is ladies kind of coming up, kind of just natural, calm, telling this. And I just don't think it was that way. It says this in verse eleven. It says that their words seemed like idle tells, that they and they did not believe them. The Greek word used there for idle tells is is a medical term that was that was used with with the idea that that uh, those that would would speak or wild talk of those that were suffering from delirium or hysteria right it, it was it was nonsensical babblings to to the disciples when these ladies came on the scene to say and and i can imagine again probably not in a calm way they, they are at some level scared because when an angel shows up like you know like if somebody tells you yeah, i was talking to an angel yesterday and david ford been to like you're thinking They may be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Are you with me? Right? So if if an angel shows up, they always say, fear not, right? Don't be afraid. Because they know that if they show up, you're going to be afraid. And I'm not saying somebody couldn't talk to an angel. I'm just saying this because I see the biblical precedent for it. But I'm just saying this, that, that these ladies are probably shook up a little bit. Their world has just been flipped around. They were looking for a dead Jesus. There's no Jesus. And there's angels saying that he's alive. And then they said, remember what he said. And so there's probably some anticipation and excitement and some joy and happiness, but there's also probably some fear and trepidation. And they go to the disciples, and I don't think it's one of them representing all of them saying, okay, uh, guys, I just want to tell you, we saw some angels. And they said, I-, I think they're going to be like three or four of them or five of them talking at once. So you understand what I'm saying? Like we were at the tomb, we were at the tomb, and, and we saw angels, and and then Jesus is not there. And, and they said he's, ar- he's 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 risen from the dead, and he's alive. And 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 so those guys are like, hey, you guys are talking crazy. They're having a problem working through that because they weren't in the process. And they're having a problem working through it because they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' death. They are already persuaded he's dead It's final. We've seen the evidence, and we're persuaded. I mean, they understood because they were in the garden with him when he was arrested. They they were there when when Judas came and and kissed Jesus to let those that were coming with with him, the the guards and those that would take him away, to, to let them know who he was, and they saw him taken. They knew he was taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, and questioned, interrogated, one of the soldiers smacked him in the face because he wouldn't answer. They knew that he'd been taken to, uh, to Pilate, and Pilate couldn't find anything, couldn't find any sin, couldn't find anything he was guilty of, and so he offered up a, a common criminal to the people, or Jesus, because they could let one go because of the custom. And the people said, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. They knew that happened. Peter himself knew that he had denied Jesus they knew he'd been beaten. Scourged is the word. The lectionaire would, would take the flagellum and drag it across the shoulders and the back and the legs of Jesus till his flesh was like ribbons. They knew that he had been nailed to a cross and a crown of thorns on his head. And his body had been taken down, placed in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They knew that. they seen the evidence. They've seen it. And some people will tell me, you see, these guys wouldn't believe because they'd seen evidence to the contrary of him being alive. And some people say to me sometimes, well, I believe if I could see the evidence. And I would say this that, that it is a faith journey. Faith. And, and by the way, everybody on the planet has faith. We just do. I mean, the Bible's correct when it says to every man's been given, every person's been given a measure of faith. Everybody has faith. Now, I don't know what you put your faith in. If you drove in a car here today, if you let somebody else drive, you got a lot of faith. I'm just saying. But you had a lot of faith in the other drivers. They weren't going to crash into you. when you're. They weren't going to come across the road and just crash into you for no reason. You had had faith in the mechanics that fix your car and the engineers that it's going to stop when you hit the brake and it's going to go when it needs to go. You you have faith. You know, I, I don't totally understand electricity, even though I've studied it. Many years ago, I don't totally understand how it gets from where they make it through the wire into my house, and then I flip the switch on, and there it is. But I flip the switch on all the time. and just have faith it's going to work. I'll be honest with you. The old rabbit ear TV, I don't know how that works. (laughs) I've been in college chemistry class, and they explained the whole thing, and I still don't know how pictures made somewhere else go through the space and air and come in through some crazy old-looking rabbit ears and a picture of Pops, a video on my TV screen, and you can watch it. I don't know, but I had no problem picking the remote up. Boom, 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 and there is Andy Griffith and Barney and a whole bunch coming through, coming through space. I, I don't understand it, but faith is there. If you ever eat out, I'm just going to tell you, you've got Faith. Because whoever's back there doing whatever they're doing, you don't see them. You just see the smile and face that that gives it to you, and you say thank you, and they say no problem. I'm like, well, I didn't expect it was a problem. I'm going to tip you and everything. (laughs) But I'm just saying you have faith. And I would say, though, that there is a lot of evidence. The prophetic fulfillment of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done is undeniable. And when you see the, the, the prophecies, over 300 in the Old Testament scriptures, in the Hebrew Bible, over 300 that spoke to the coming Messiah with, with uh, uh, specificity. like it, it, was, it was accurate in the idea. That, and, I've, and I've read. I've read after a ton of guys, Dawkins and Hitchens and Russell and some of these guys, and, and they still come up short in all that they try to, to put out there. I remember when I was young. I I, I was nineteen. And I went to all kinds of churches trying to figure out, like, is what I'm doing, like the church I'm in. Because you may not know it, there's forty five thousand Christian denominations. That's not good news. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's not good news. Um, and 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 so in in understanding, like, just what is it? I mean, I've looked at, I've looked at the, the. Um, the Torah, and I've looked at the Talmud, and I've looked at the Koran over the years. And, and I would just say this, that they end up falling short because the Bible, the Bible has over 300 prophetic words about the coming Messiah. And, and they weren't like, you know, 10 minutes before he arrived on the scene. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, 530 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah, Micah, others... 700 years before the birth of Christ. David, David, you know, King David spoke some very um, vivid uh, words about Jesus and what, it, what he would look like and some details and lived over a 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. And throughout the Old Testament, peppered throughout it, many prophetic words beyond that with, 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 with more history on them than just that that were spoken and one after another fulfilled. In, in fact, when, when, you, when you think about it, because someone could say, well, I think they kind of doctored that after Jesus came. And I'm like, okay, well, the Jewish canon was closed 400 years before Christ. That means they sealed it. This is what it is. And the guys that were responsible for arresting him and, 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 and play with the Romans uh, to see him crucified, they're not going to go back to prove to you in their scriptures that these things have been fulfilled. Now, if eight of those 300... If eight of those had been fulfilled, only eight, here here is the likelihood of of, of that happening, right? Eight of the the over 300, it's one times 10 to the 17th power. That means one with 17 zeros behind it. I don't have time today to explain to you what that looks like on our current world, but I want to tell you that doesn't happen very easily, and it's almost impossible that it would happen if just eight. And then there's the evidence of Jesus' impact on the world it's undeniable. Jesus changed everything. You say, well, I don't know about that. I think, you know, he may have been, you know, I don't, I don't believe in historical Jesus. And I'm like, well, that, that ship sailed like back in the 70s. Like that's already over. I said, that's a dead argument that Jesus existed. Uh, 39 historical writers wrote about him around the time of his life. Tiberius, the ruler of Rome, only had nine. You catching what I'm saying? There's plenty of evidence. In fact, H.G. Wells said this, I am a historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. Jesus changes everything. I mean, if you look, if you look at human rights, if you look at human rights in our world, It's been those that were impacted by Jesus that brought a change to the way people were treated all over the planet. I mean, I I think that if if you look at, uh, uh, I hear many times people say Dr. Martin Luther King, and, and that's good, but they forget he was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was a preacher of the gospel. Right, And because of the impact of Christ on his life. William Wilberforce in England, who who stood up against slavery and and, and pushed hard against it because it was wrong. The abolitionists in America, you don't hear this taught much in history anymore, but the abolitionists, by and large, were Christians. People impacted by Jesus who said, this can't continue. C.G. Finney, his church was burned to the ground because he stood up against slavery. People were persecuted, beaten, simply because as Christians, they were saying no to slavery. In fact, Abraham Lincoln, because of the abolitionist, is why he took on that as an issue. It wasn't the issue that he ran on. It wasn't why he became elected president. It's because there were uh, Christ-loving individuals who said, this can't continue in our nation. The impact of Jesus on the world is undeniable. Human Humanitarian aid. All over the world, whether it's the Red Cross or Samaritan's Purse or Salvation Army or Operation Blessing or one of the many, many other groups that go into the world to help others just for the sake of helping them because they're in need. Scattered all across our nation are hospitals, hospital after hospital that was started by people who love Jesus and want to care for those that were sick and dying. Even in our own city, the Methodist, the Methodist church was responsible for Methodist Hospital. St. Francis, St. Vincent, community even had a Christian start to, to it being here. And, and, and not, only, not only human rights and humanitarian aid, but, but education. You, you realize that, that, uh, that the early Christians were some of the most informed people in the, on the planet. In fact, when you look at America and Europe, the universities and colleges that that are that are that cover those areas, most of them started by people who were followers of Christ who said we need to educate people. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Columbia, William Mary, Brown, Rutgers, all started as Christian institutions. Let me help you a little more. Indiana University. Right. I mean, we love some Indiana University basketball. So, so some of you love Bobby Knight when Bobby Knight just, just you know, he didn't always seem Christ-like, I'm just saying. But, but Indiana University started as a Bible college. Maybe you don't know that. I'm just saying the impact of Jesus on our world is undeniable. The way women have been treated, in Jesus' day, women women were, you know, be silent. You We can't trust anything you say. One of the reasons why they didn't believe him was because a woman's, a woman's testimony wasn't, wasn't uh, counted as truth. That's one of the reasons why the disciples didn't necessarily believe him. Jesus, when when he sets down to teach, there's one place in the Bible where Martha is in the kitchen making stuff and her sister Mary is at Jesus' feet and she gets upset. And Jesus doesn't push her away because in that day, a disciple could have only been a guy, a male. No, Jesus says, let her stay here. She's choosing the good part. And over and over again, women, Jesus treated them with dignity. Until now, when we look at our world, it's because of the impact of. You, you don't have to go very far. Look at the nations, they call it the 1040 window. Look at the nations there that, that the gospel hasn't been presented, and, and there's not a gospel footprint like there is in much of the rest of the world. and what you'll find is women can't go to school. Saudi Arabia just changed the law to allow women to drive.'t let them drive. I'm just saying this, they've been outcast and pushed aside. Jesus had such an impact. That women were treated, children were treated different, and are treated different. In, in the Roman Empire, when you didn't want a child, you just discarded it. Something, you, if your child had some some deformity or something wrong, you just took it out by the by the the sea, set it on a rock, and let whatever happened happen to it. Leave your children, if you didn't want them anymore, you couldn't care for them, leave them in the marketplace, and at the end of the day, somebody would take them. A lot of times, people that would they would use them in human trafficking would take them, and the Christians said, this isn't right. Those that were impacted by Jesus, and they started to care for those children. That's why many years ago, the reason Christian orphanages, and even in our city, Firefly and some of the other uh, charitable organizations that help children, they were started by people impacted by Jesus. His impact on the world is undeniable. I mean, he split time in half. Are you with me? I know we're trying to be BCE and all this kind of stuff, but but it's been before Christ and anno domini in the year of our Lord for a couple thousand years. I could go on, but I'll move on. The other thing that I see about, about Jesus is, that is evidentiary is, is his unwavering, or, or the unwavering commitment of his disciples. I mean, if it's a lie and if it's not true, you're certainly not going to give your life to it. Are you with me? Nobody gives their life to something that that they know is not true and they know that's a lie and they know it's been fabricated. Let alone that you'll die a martyr's death. I'm just I'm just going to tell you this: dead men, uh, dying men don't lie. They get real clean before they die. You hear me? His disciples, they gave their life and they died a martyr's death because they believed that Jesus had rose again. They had seen the evidence. And I think that evidence, well, it's important, but it's faith. Because when you understand the greatest person paid the greatest price for the greatest victory ever won, there's something about that that can cause you to stand up and say, my trust is in him. My trust is in him. Uh, but the disciples, they struggle with it. when they heard this, they struggle with it. In fact, uh, there's a story about about a lady who she lived next door to some people and she didn't get along with them very well. She had a big German shepherd, and one day she looked out in the backyard, and German shepherd's got a rabbit in its mouth, and she knows the neighbors have a cage in their backyard with a little fluffy rabbit in it. and she just thinks, "Oh no, our, our dog has got over and got that rabbit." And she grabs a broom. this is the story, so I'm not saying you should do this, but she took a broom and she knocked the dog and made it drop the rabbit, and she gets the rabbit and it's lifeless and dirty and covered in saliva. and she takes it in the house and she gives it a bath and cleans it all up, and then she blow dries it and combs it all out. She's trying to make this dead rabbit look good because she don't want more trouble with her neighbor. Then she thinks, okay, they're not home. She sneaks over and sets it up in its cage real nice, and then goes back and just goes about her business. And she's just hoping that, you know, the neighbor will think the rabbit died of natural causes or something, that that her dog wasn't responsible. Well, about an hour later, she hears screams coming out of the next yard, and she goes outside kind of nonchalant and says, oh, what happened? She said, our rabbit, our rabbit. He died two weeks ago and we buried him and now he's back in the cage. But here's 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 what you all know, all of us know this. That when a rabbit's dead, it's dead. Dead rabbits don't come back to life. It don't matter how much you shampoo them, how much you blow dry them, and fluff them up and set them up just right. A dead rabbit is a dead rabbit. And for the disciples, they understood that Jesus was dead, and it's final, and he's dead. In fact, N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, said this. There were many messianic movements in the first century. In every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome, as Jesus did. In not one single case do we hear the Slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. They knew dead was dead. And for the disciples, the evidence was persuasive. Persuasive. I would also say this, that their experience was keeping them from believing the truth. Their experience, what they had been through, the concern, the worry, the thoughts you know how you, how you do in your mind when something's changing or you're facing something you start thinking of all the different scenarios. anybody ever done that like you you get bad news and then you start going through in your mind how you're going to deal with that how you're going to handle it how what's what what's going to be your next like what where, where do I go from here and you get all of that in in your mind working and I'm sure that's what they're doing they're kind of hidden away. they don't know where the Romans coming for us too. we were his followers. I mean, Peter didn't want you know, he didn't want to fess up when the young girl said, hey, aren't you one of Jesus? He's like, no, hey, I'm not one of them. Your speech betrays you. No, I'm not one of them. Why? Because he didn't want to get pulled into that mess. He didn't want to lose his life. And so, so they're, they're worried, they're fearful, there's things going through their head because their experience has told them this is, this is the end, this is it. And just so you know, your experience can hold you captive. Your past experience, what, you, what you've went through, what you've dealt with in life can get a hold of you and keep you stuck in a certain situation so you never go beyond where you're at. Some of, you been, some of you have made some decisions and it's been wrong decisions and you've suffered some consequences. Maybe you're facing some consequences. Maybe you're dealing with something right now. For some of you, maybe it's somebody that's did something to you and, and, and it was not Right. And you're dealing with the pain of that, and it still lingers because of what happened to you, and you're being held captive. In fact, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, verse 18 says, says forget the former things, don't dwell in the past. Verse 19 says, behold, the Lord's going to do a new thing. Somebody shout a new thing. yeah. So, so, so you may not have experienced the love of God, or you may not have experienced the power of God, maybe in your life, or maybe your context, your experience has, has been religious, whether it's Christianity or whether it's Islam or Judaism or Hinduism or atheism or any of the other isms, about four thousand, a little over four thousand on our planet, different different religions outside of Christianity. And maybe maybe you believed one of those, maybe maybe since since for a long time, maybe since a child. Maybe you've been trained in a certain way and that's that's your frame of reference of how you live your life because of that and and you you haven't really seen anything produced by it in your life. You've you you've got certain rituals or you've got certain rules that you're following, rituals that you're performing and doing, but you just don't see any impact of that. You're just doing those because that's what you've been taught to do. And so you always do those things. I would just tell you this God doesn't need another religious person. That may be a lie somebody's believing. God doesn't need another religious person what he wants, the reason that he sent his son was not so that he gets get some more religious people. There were religious people already on the planet. He even had religious people. It wasn't because he wanted more religious people. It's because he wanted a relationship. And so he would send his son because the bottom line is we couldn't get it right on our own, right? You, and Whatever religion it is in the world, you can't offer to God a life of no sin and perfection. None of us can. We're all flawed. No perfect people here today. If you're perfect, you're probably in the wrong place. Just no perfect people here today. And and I would just help you to see this, that because we can't get it right, because no matter how hard we try, and by the way, you can do a whole lot of good things. And still, because God is holy, his standard of righteousness, righteousness is far beyond us. And so am I trying to do good? I'm always going to fall short. That's what the Word of God says, that all have sinned and fallen short. I'm always going to fall short of that. And so the only way that I can measure up to what God's standard is, is not by my own righteousness. That's self-righteousness. That's a stench in the nostrils of God. That's like filthy rags. Is not to trust in my righteousness, but to look to one who never sinned, who lived the perfect life, who is righteous, and that's Christ Jesus. And when God looks at me, when I've invited Christ into my life, he doesn't see my righteousness or my unrighteousness, I should say, but he sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And when he sees that, that's good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And and so God's not looking for an experience that you've had that's been religious or non-religious or whatever. He's looking for relationship. Francis Collins. Anybody know that name? That's all right. Former director of the National Human Genome Research Institute. He was appointed by President Barack Obama. State, he was, uh, President Trump kept him, and President Biden kept him in office. Uh, he, he's one of those guys that will use words that are that are uh, you know the fifty cent words. I mean three dollar words. I would say he he studied uh, the human genome, and it's 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 incredible. Led a group of of. Uh, I can't remember the number, but bunches of scientists. He said this: If God made the natural laws, why could He not violate them when it was particularly significant—a particularly significant moment for Him to do so? And if you accept the idea that Christ was also divine, which I do, then His resurrection is not in itself a great logical leap. In other words, if you can get to the place that you understand who God is, and you know this world. Isn't just happening. You ever watch the movie "Signs? If you haven't, you probably need to rewatch it. There's a place in it. Uh, Mel Gibson plays this guy, and his brother's there, and he tells his brother, He said, "There's two kinds of people in the world. There's those that believe that things are just happening, and it's just kind of happenstance, and whatever happens happens. And there's other people who believe there's someone who's in control and things aren't happening just by accident or coincidence. You said. it just depends on what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person that believes that, well, things are just the way they are and randomly happen? Or do you believe that there's somebody who's involved in all this? And I would tell you this morning that, that uh, no matter how desperate your situation, no matter if you feel like you lost everything, if you don't feel like there's any hope, if you feel like, well, here's what my experience has got me to, and I can't see it changing anyway, well, the well, this book is filled with examples, filled with examples, of where things and people's experience was a certain experience, and then the the, the switch was flipped, and it was altogether different. Because when you read in here, you you can see that, and we know this: seas don't split open to allow people to pass through on dry ground. How many know that? Water doesn't spring forth doesn't just spring forth from a rock. Thick city walls around a city don't fall flat. Men thrown into fiery furnaces and dens of lion lions do not survive. Dead men don't walk out of graves. Threatening storms don't just stop because someone talks to them. Shackles don't just miraculously fall off and, and prison doors open. Blind don't see and the deaf don't hear and the lame don't walk just because someone touches them or spits on dirt and puts mud in their eyes. But God steps into the situation and says, it doesn't matter what your experience is. I want to challenge that because I want to do something new in your life that you never thought could ever happen. I, I've seen it in my own eyes when, when, when there's, a, there's a, uh, a situation in somebody's life. It's, it's the person that's been the drug addict who, who has quit and tried and tried to stop the behavior. And then in a moment, in a moment, Right over here in the corner. If you want to know about it? Talk to Harold Holland. In a moment, all of it's gone. Well, that's not the experience that he had up to that point. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter the addiction or the habit. It's gone because God can change things in a moment, no matter what our experience was. I've seen the couples who who who've been praying for. For uh, a child and not be able to have a child, and then God comes by and opens the womb, or sometimes I've seen God you lead them in adoption and they adopt adopt a child, and then boom. In fact, in first service we had a, had a family here. I think they got five kids. I'm trying to remember now, the Hamiltons. But but exactly the case. They adopted, they adopted, and then boom. Pastor Richie, the founding pastor, had a great take on this. He said, he said if If um, that God may close some wombs because there's a whole lot of children that would never be adopted had it not been for that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Here's what we learned from these guys. My last point this morning we got a candy hunt for the kids coming. I said, I got to hurry. And you're excited about that, I could tell. I knew everybody's gonna be happy with my preaching today. Some of you gonna be happy I'm doing it. Some, some of you are gonna be happy when I quit. I just knew everybody I was gonna make everybody happy today. Here's what we learned from these guys. Everything isn't always as it appears. Everything isn't always as it appears. When we're taught as Christ's followers, right? We're, we're taught to walk by faith and not by sight. And so we see appearances and it challenges us. Anybody ever been challenged? It's not that people don't have doubt. All of us have doubt at some point. It's that we choose the faith step instead of to to, to stay in the doubt uh, place. And I, th- I thought about how that things don't always look as they appear. That that looks can be deceiving. I was uh, my daughter. She played several sports in high school, middle school, and uh, I remember going. She played basketball for a number of years, and I go to the games when she's in middle school, and. Uh, just for me, my point of view, my point of view may not be accurate, but for me it was accurate at the time. Watching middle school girls basketball is kind of a tough thing. <laughs> they have so many jump balls, like jump ball here, down the other, jump ball again. I mean, it's back and forth, and it, just so, so different. But, but faithfully, I went to every game. I went to every game when my daughter scored half of the points when they lost 62 to 2. every game. And then she got in high school. It was better. But when she got in high school, she played golf and she played she uh, track. And, and she wanted to do like everything they had. And we had to say, okay, you can't do everything. And then she played tennis. Well, I don't have the slightest idea. I still don't have the slightest idea about tennis. I really don't. But I went to some games. I remember the first game I was at when she was playing Kim couldn't be with me that day, and I went there by myself, and I sat on the bleachers there watching it. And tennis, I did learn this, it's different. Like, you're not like, go Sam, you know. You, you know it's like, everybody's like, shh. And I'll be honest, I'd be like that in a quiet church. I'd be like, somebody make some noise, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, a, come on, somebody. You know, I, I just, it's just so quiet but I'm watching her, I found where she's at, they're all out there playing, and I don't know how they keep score, still don't, but I'm watching, and I could. but I could tell, and man, she is, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm thinking, she's gonna get a scholarship. She is really good at this, I don't know how you play it, but I can tell she's good at it. And she conquered and defeated the other player, and like, whoa, so good. And then she turned around to come out of the thing, and I'm waiting to like congratulate her and everything, and it wasn't her. It wasn't her. I watched the whole thing. It wasn't her. Then I left from there, and I went down. I, I mean, blonde-haired, teenage girl with a uniform on. I mean, I thought, so I walked on down. I find out where she's at, and I watched the rest of her game, and she did okay. <laughs> no scholarship, but she did okay. Looks can be deceiving. Things aren't always as they appear. All of us have had to experience there's a, there's a painting, a story was told in the 1888 Columbia Chess Chronicle, and you probably didn't read that, but but um, if you like chess, you'll like this story. If you don't, you may get something out of it too. But picture called Checkmate was hung in the Louvre, and it's been different places it's in private hands right now, but they'll put the picture up for you there. It's a picture of a chess match. You got on this side with black and red on a young guy, and he looks a little distraught. He's wondering what's happening, what's going to take place, and what do I go from here? And then on the other side, you got the devil, Satan. And he's got a little grin, and he's got him. In fact, the the name of this is checkmate, and checkmate is when your king gets in a place. um, They call it check, and you can't move him. Checkmate is when you've lost the game, your king's going to be captured, you can't go any further. And uh, the painting kind of exhibits that, well, the devil has won this Battle. Well, there was a tour going on in a museum there, the way the story is told. There was a tour going on, and in that group of people that were going through on the tour was a world champion chess master. And he gets to this, and he looks at it, and the tour guide is just moving along, so he moves on to the next thing, and everybody goes, but that guy stays there, and they get down two or three exhibits on down, and the, and the guide, guide goes back to find, because they realize he's missing, and they go back to him. And when they went back to him, the guy said, "Hey, are you going to continue with the group?" He said, "Well, I just I just got called here, and there's a problem." He said, "He said either we've got to to change the name of that painting, or we've got to change the painting because it's not accurate." You, You see, I've looked at this and I've studied the moves, the possibilities, and the young guy in this picture. Well, it's not over for him. His king has one more move. That, 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 that is, This isn't the end. It looks like the enemy, the, the, the devil in this picture has got him, but it's not accurate because the king has one more move. And I would just tell you today that things like that aren't always as they appear. It looks a certain way, but no, it's not over. And in your life, guess what? It's not over. It's not the end. The situation might seem bigger than you, but just know this, that the king has one more move, that things aren't always as they appear. Looks can be deceiving. You can put your trust in a God who understands and knows where you're at, and he has a plan for your future, for the next, for you. Now in John chapter 8, John's gospel. Well, there's, there's a story of a woman. She's been caught, captured by the religious leaders, and they brought her before Jesus. They bring her there, and what is said is that she's been caught in the very act of adultery. Adultery by biblical uh, definition, still today, is is that she's having sex uh, with a married man, or they're both married to someone else, and they're having sex. And she's been caught in the act of it. So it's not like, well, we think maybe she did this. No, they caught her in the act. Now I got problems with this, uh, partly because they only brought the woman. You hear what I'm saying? Right? It takes—we all know it takes two to tango. Like so, so there's a man involved, but they didn't bring him. They only brought the woman. In fact, they brought the woman with the law in one hand and a stone in the other. The other problem I've got is that uh, with with this is simply that. That these are holy, devout men, men of the law. And I don't know where they're hanging out to catch people in the act of adultery. Are you with me? I'm just saying. I, I, I think it conveys to us the kind of men these are. They have a religious uh, experience. They have a religious faith. But they have no relationship with the Jesus, the Jesus that they're confronting. So they bring her, no doubt, she's either naked or they've covered her with something to bring her out. She's being humiliated, brought in front of all these people, and now Jesus is going to deal with her. So Jesus bends over, and with his finger, he writes in the dirt. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote, and there's preacher after preacher that's tried to speculate and create sermons about what Jesus wrote. And I'll just be honest with you, they're probably all wrong because we don't know. We can only preach the things we know. Are you with me? So they tried to say what it is. Maybe he wrote, the king has one more move. Probably not, but it sounds good. Maybe he wrote, looks can be deceiving. He may have wrote that. I doubt it. But he may have. If he did, he would have been accurate in saying that looks can be deceiving because you're coming to me with the law, but I'm about to present you with grace. You religious, lawful, unholy men that are hanging out in places to catch women in traps like this and to bring them out and humiliate them, you just need to know that you're operating by the law, but I'm going to confront you with grace. Grace says you have one more move. Grace says there's an opportunity for a future. doesn't matter what your experience, how bad you've got it, how wrong you've been. There's hope because of grace. Somebody shout grace with me. One, two, three. Yeah, there's hope because of grace. And so Jesus, I can just see him as he lifts his finger from the ground and points his dirt-covered finger at these men and says, in essence, looks are deceiving. The king's got one more move. Whoever is without sin cast the first stone. The Bible says one by one they departed, one after another, gone and then Jesus looks at the woman. He said, where are your accusers? Where are those that are condemning you? She said, she said there's nobody. There's nobody. And Jesus said, because, you know, Jesus could have picked the rock up and threw it at her. Because there was one that was sinless there. But instead he chose to say, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. I don't care how bad you got it wrong. I don't care how, how mixed up you've been neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. There's a new life for you. This may have been your life. This may have been your experience. The evidence may be very real that you were caught in this act, but things aren't always as they appear. Go and sin no more. There's a new season for your life. There's a next for you.